People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. It is the 28th of September. It's the third day of Cholomite Circus. And we are talking books. And one of the last things when you are in books and you have a radio show and you do book reviews, you get to meet people who are very passionate about books. And you get to share your passion with books, with them, over the airwaves. And today we have one of our good friends of People of the Book joining us in studio. That's Tracy Schwarzer from Jonathan Ball Publishers. Tracy's very plugged into the whole book world in South Africa. And welcome again. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. And in the new studios, which are wonderful. It's been a while. Um, goodness, I have... Lots to read and lots to tell, I mean, lots that I have been reading and lots to tell you about. Um, I've been reading a lot of fiction at the moment, so you usually, because I deal with the Jonathan Ball local list for the most part, um, so you usually hear quite a lot of non-fiction reviews from me, but I've been on a fiction binge, so we're, we're going to be running all over the show, different time periods, different parts of the world, but some extraordinary books coming out towards the end of the year. And the one that I wanted to start with, I'm actually going to read you the prologue of it. It's a book called Strangers with the Same Dream by an author called Alison Pick, who was nominated, or she was long-listed for the booker um, for her previous book, Let Her Go. I hadn't heard of her, hadn't read her beforehand. But quickly, just before I read you this prologue, I'll give you a vague idea of setting, etc. It's 1921. And a group of socialist Zionist settlers are moving into the interior in Palestine to set up a kibbutz. And they're mainly from um, Eastern Europe, mainly speaking Russian, but they've arrived now to set up this kibbutz. They are only to speak Hebrew. They've had to leave their worlds behind them, but to create this wonderful dream of a new home of togetherness. And things things don't go according to plan. And this, I was hooked from the prologue, which for me was sort of hugely reminiscent of Lovely Bones, in fact, which I read for the first time about two months ago. So it was all very close to home, but I want to read you the prologue, which I don't normally do, but it is extraordinary. This story begins with a lie. I killed myself. That's what they said. They made me pay with that particular shame. When our descendants spoke of me, I was not named, but instead called the suicide, or sometimes the first suicide, a cautionary tale. Committing suicide means no burial, no mourning rites, no kiddish, no winding sheets, no shiver, no final consolations. Just as for me there had been no daughterhood or motherhood, no group of people who could stand in for the family I never had alone in death as I had been in life. Back then, to kill yourself was a sin. It brought great disgrace, which is, of course, what they wanted. Well, maybe I deserved it after all the damage I had done. We lived that whole year pushed up against death, illness, accident, things more sinister still. There was a gun, and we argued over over it like the children that we were. Who could touch it? Who could hold it? Who would be the first to dis- discharge the verdict of its bullets? The first time I saw it, I knew somehow that it would be the instrument of my death. I could not have guessed the story that would come first. Now I am dead, and that story is all I know. I revisit it, 
questioning my judgment, my motivation. And mostly, I am graced now with compassion for myself I did not have in life. I understand why I did what I did and why I sometimes kept silent. I can forgive my mistakes. Still, it is small consolation to be alone in forgiving oneself. I would like for you to understand me too. What does a ghost want? Redemption. To tell her story. And you're the ones I've chosen to tell. You are my own chosen people. So that is half of the prologue. It is extraordinary. You will not put it down when you start reading it. And please do pick up Strangers with the Same Dream. It's available in trade paperback on the shelves now. And it is a wonderful story. And then next, I want to move on to Washington Black, which is on the Booker shortlist. It's written by Esu Edugian. I'm not entirely sure of the pronunciation there. I'm just going to fake it <laughs> and hope you believe me. We also, we all do as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I should have Googled that before I came in. It starts on a sugar plantation in Barbados in the 1830s. And Washington Black is actually the name of the central character. His name is actually George Washington Black, and he becomes known as Wash throughout his life. And he's a slave born into the life of slavery in Barbados. So he has known nothing else but slavery his entire life. And as you start reading, I, it's beautifully written, but it has that awful sort of gut-wrenching pain of underground railroad but as you move on it becomes a completely different book so Wash has worked for he's taken on the surname of his first owner who was Master Black um, Master Black passes away and the farm the plantation he doesn't have any children is willed to his two nephews and Wash catches the eye of one of the nephews who's a man of science. So you're in the 1830s and it's people are talking about evolution and Titch, who is the now co-owner of the plantation, is building a flying machine. He's building a hot air balloon kind of flying machine and Wash catches his eye because he's the right size and shape to sort of counterbalance the basket as they're going to go off on their wonderful adventure. And then the story becomes a kind of round the world in 80 days, passepartout-type story. It is just extraordinary, and you move through all of these different ideas or, you know, in, in terms of making comparisons to other books, you think, oh, goodness, this one, it's starting to feel a bit like Jules Verne now. Um, but actually what it is is something entirely unique, and Wash will just become one of your favorite characters in literature. He will stay with you for the rest of your life, as will Titch in many ways. Um, so do pick it up. So far, I haven't read very much on the Booker shortlist, but I'm gunning for Washington Black to take the honors. Um, I've just looked up. Yes. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's Canadian, and the name was familiar, and she's been on the shortlist of the booker before for a book called Half, Half Blood Black Blues, Blues. Yes. Yeah. which was about a, a black jazz musician in Nazi Germany. 
Absolutely. So fingers crossed for second time lucky in that case. Um, so this is an author that we really should be watching. Absolutely. If you're on the book a shortlist twice for really quite um, mind-blowing historical fiction. Yes, absolutely, and sort of wonderfully imaginative. So sort of parts of it feel almost, you know, you have sort of magical realism, but you're set very definitely in the slave fields of Barbados of the 1830s, and there is the grit of that, as well as the majesty of a hot air balloon taking off from a hill in the middle of the night in a raging storm in the Pacific. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful in the Caribbean, as the case may be. Um, then the next novel I wanted to speak about is also uh, just beautifully, beautifully written. It's the new Andrew Miller, who wrote many years ago a book called Ingenious Pain, which is one of my favorite, favorite books ever. Nothing that he's written since really moved me in the same way that Ingenious Pain has. But we have a new one from him called Now We Shall Be Entirely Free. And again, it's a historical novel, which I do. I am drawn towards the historical novels. Um, it's set in uh, it's the Napoleonic Wars, and it opens on a dark and stormy night, and a soldier who has Napoleon is winning at the stage. There's been a terrible battle after which the English have had to flee overland through Spain and back home. Um, and dark and stormy night, Christian Lacroix um, is carried on a litter into his country house. And he has a terrible fever. He's unconscious. His feet are bleeding. He's in a bad way. Um, and he's not conscious, not speaking. But his nursemaid from childhood is in the country house. And once she's called the doctor in and they've established that there are no life-threatening injuries, he's not in a critical condition. He just needs a bit of care. She says, right, I'll, I'll look after him. And as he slowly comes back to life, you realize that he's... Left, I, there's a very beautiful line in the book where the nursemaid is saying of Christian that he had come back from the war, but he never came home. Um, he had left part of his soul there, and he had come back the shell of a man. And she's trying to revive him, try to get him to talk about the trauma of whatever it is that went on there. Um, the thing with Andrew Miller, though, almost more than the plot, although it's absolutely fascinating, and then I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more after we return from the ad break, but the sentences are so beautiful, you... I, you just want to sort of roll around in them. I found myself rereading very mundane sentences. It was about, you know, sunlight coming through a window into a kitchen while somebody was having a cup of tea. That was such a beautiful sentence that I was rereading it three or four times. It took me an extraordinary amount of time to finish the 400-odd page book because it is that very, very beautiful. So we'll be back with more of... And we shall be entirely free by Andrew Miller and more books from the Jonathan Ball stable set after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. All the books that Tracy's mentioning have been posted on our Facebook page. Go to Facebook and then search for People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. They're all there 
Uh, you can see the covers of all these books. And when you go to Book Club next or when you're going to the bookshops, just take out your smartphone, check up on Facebook what has been mentioned, and you will find the book that you have to read next on our Facebook page. Now, we're talking about Now We Shall Be Entirely Free by Andrew Miller. And you were talking about... So we about, were, yes. yes, in the Napoleonic Wars, and he's... Christian Lacroix has returned and he's recovered physically but he hasn't recovered psychologically and you're aware of the fact and uh, the story grows over the course of the book that something happened as they were fleeing France and the great humiliating loss in this battle against Napoleon and his armies something terrible happened on the flight back and he he can't face facing it really and at this stage, the officers are coming. They're desperate for more English soldiers to return to the war, regardless of how badly damaged they were, because the forces have been literally de decimated. Um, and Captain Lacroix decides that he's actually not going back. He's not going to be part of any of this. He's going to pack up his life, and he's going to the Outer Hebrides, and he's going to take on a new identity. So it's this idea of him being entirely free and is that possible can you can you outrun the sins of your past can you can you outrun your past can you remake yourself and it is uh, it is so exquisitely beautiful every sentence i just even if you pick it up to read 10 pages for the beauty of the words pick up the new andrew miller and then to something completely different, another thriller. I went through a bit of a phase when I, I, I think last time I was here, I was talking, I went through the Jack Reacher phase, <laughs> which was an obsessively long phase. So I went through a grisly thriller phase. And one of the grisly thrillers that I read in the grisly thriller phase was a paperback original by an English guy called Christopher Yates. He was a graduate of Oxford or Cambridge. I think it was Oxford as opposed to Cambridge. And he moved with his wife to New York, and he's now living in the States and writing from the States. So this book was published originally in the States, and it is now being uh, where I think it became a New York Times bestseller, although I'm never sure about exactly. Uh, every book seems to be a New York Times bestseller. There must be many lists within lists. But, so Grist Mill Road is a paperback original thriller, so you won't have seen it for your book clubs on the trade paperback shelves. And it opens with a genuinely, awfully grisly first chapter. And I think a, a lot of people in the office actually put it down after the first chapter, but don't. So it's the story of two young guys living in New Jersey State, just outside, uh, about an hour outside of New York. But it's... It, it's a world away from New York. They're woods that the boys can go running and playing in, and they get on their bicycles after school, and they go on wonderful adventures, and they play pirates, and they dig holes, and, you know, do boyish things, and they've got homemade catapults that they're shooting trees with, etc., etc. And the boys are both in grade seven. One is young, and he's young for his age, and he's always been a bit of an outsider until his best friend moves to town. And the best friend is older, he's failed a year, and he's dashingly good-looking, and he's a rebel. And he becomes friends with this young outcast who is completely 
overwhelmed, besotted with the idea that somebody actually wants to be his friend. And they start, some of the games that they're playing are starting to get a bit more violent. And on the very last day of grade seven, they're breaking up for the summer. It's the summer holidays are stretching before them. They're going to be swimming in the creek. They go up to the woods and they take along one of their classmates, a girl classmate. And the kind of awkward friend goes off looking for, he goes off looking for rocks or sticks that they're going to use to make bows and arrows with. And he returns to the central meeting spot and the girl is tied up to the tree and his friend has shot her 40 times with a BB gun, just a pellet gun. Um, the last pellet blinds her. It's this sort of awful and you can't, you can't really understand how it went from kids riding on their bicycles on the last day of school to this really awful scene. Um, and then it's, it, the story backtracks and is told from the three different perspectives, from the girl's perspective, from the two friends' perspective. In fact, there's such a surprise in the second chapter that you already are hooked. Um, and it does have that, I know it's, it's sort of overused, but that girl on the train, gone girl, unreliable narrator aspect to it, because you are hearing the same story told from three very different places. But again, as with, I suppose, now we shall be entirely free, can you escape, can you move on from damage so big? Can you, can you, can you make a life outside of unforgivable mistakes? You wouldn't even call them mistakes. But do you move on after committing unforgivable sins? And that is the story of Gristmill Road. So really cool thriller, really. And is it also like um, we need to talk about Kevin, the, the evil in children? Um, yes, absolutely. And... In all three of the players, you know, that everybody, that there is no, there are no black and whites in personalities. People are sort of, you know, amalgamations of greys. Nobody is entirely good. Nobody is entirely evil. Um, there are entirely evil acts, as undoubtedly what happened that day was. Um, but yes, I, it's, it's it's quite a read, yeah. So that's Gristmill Road. And we'll be back with more books from this very super, super curated list that Tracy's brought in today, straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. Back to, as I said, this super curated list that Tracy's brought in from uh, Jonathan Bull Publishers. What's next on the list? Also another novel. Um, I'm moving to nonfiction next, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll start speeding up. I promise. I, I get carried away with myself completely when I'm talking about books. Um, the next one is by Claire Askew, and it's called All the Hidden Truths. Again, just I, I think it's just released this this month. Now it was late last month. Um, it is the story of a school shooting in the UK, but told mainly from the perspective of the mother of the shooter and the mother of one of the victims. Um, and it obviously jumps 
around in time. It jumps from perspective to perspective. But I just found it, and I, I think I might have mentioned it to you briefly a while back, but I found it fascinating to read from the mother's point of view because I do, I do often think when there's been a family tragedy of any sort, nobody... I, well, this actually had started, for me, the fascination as a result of watching a documentary on the Columbine school shootings. And there was a documentary years after the fact that was made with one of the shooter's mothers. And they'd had essentially a perfect, wonderful family life. They were sort of upper middle class. The father was an architect. Um, the mother, I think, was a teacher. But they spent a lot of time with their kids. They... They were a family that laughed, that that did all of the, you know, there were none of the sort of signs where you could say, oh, well, goodness, of course, uh, he was neglected by the parents. They were running off, I don't know, traveling around the world and leaving their children or abandoned them on the streets. It was a regular family. But clearly something went wrong. Um, and it was the interview with the mother who had faced terrible, terrible criticism from social media, from the media. How do you produce a monster? Um, and what is your culpability as the parent for creating a monster? Um, and thank goodness very few of us have to think of that um, and to say what what was it that I did because I, you know, I mean, I've certainly shouted at my kids this week, um, I've made them pick their clothes up off the floor and stick them in the washing machine instead of next to the washing basket. But when a tragedy like that happens, you have to go back as the mother to say, was it that time? What was the thing that I did that contributed to my making of this monster? And that is the perspective from which all the hidden truths is written. It's her initially trying to Look at that morning before he went off to school initially. Was there something that happened that morning that she knew? And she's sort of reliving back in time. And she, like the mother in the Columbine case, has the media camped out on her doorstep. She's receiving incredibly threatening letters because she made the monster. And it's her coming to terms with the idea that she did. And maybe you can't necessarily predict it, or you can um, and the relationship that she develops with the mother of one of the victims. And it's the two of them trying to understand or trying to find a way to work, well, to keep going, to put one foot in front of the other, to forgive themselves, to forgive their children. And it's, it's, a, it's a psychological thriller, making it sound as though it's a big sort of treatise on violence and gun control. It's not that at all. It's a psychological thriller that is fast-paced. You jump from one narrator to the next narrator, but it's a fascinating look at this this new phenomenon that is predominantly American, obviously. So that is All the Hidden Truths by Claire Askew. Really wonderful read. And then I wanted to jump to just a couple of... And for, I'm, I'm actually going to start with one that I wasn't going to speak about today, but then at the last minute, because I was reading last night and this morning, um, I thought I must. It is a book called To Obama with Love, Joy, Hate, and Despair. 
and it's written by Jean-Marie Lescas. And it is, it, it started its life as a New York Times article that Jean-Marie had written. She was part of Sir Obama when he became president shortly after, uh, sort of almost immediately after his inauguration. For the first couple of weeks, he was getting something like 250,000 letters a day. Um, it settled over the course of his pre- presidency to about 10,000 letters every day that went down to the mailroom. And he had a team of people. They called themselves Team Little People. And Jean-Marie was one of them. And they selected, because when Obama was campaigning, he made a point of asking people to write to him. He said, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you even if you don't like me. Tell, tell me why you don't like me. Tell, tell me how you want the city to run and then tell me how you want the country to run. But obviously with 10,000 letters, he now needed team little people who worked in Obama's mailroom. And at the end of every day, once he'd had dinner with his family and kids, once he'd had his final security briefing of the day, he would be given 10 of these letters that had been carefully chosen to represent all sorts of views, people that absolutely hated Obama, people that adored him, kids that wanted Obama to grade their homework for him. Um, but the letters, the ten that they chose, had to be written from the heart. And every night Obama would go to his room in the White House and he would read these ten letters and write a personal heartfelt response to them. So... The original New York Times article was just mentioning a couple of those letters, and Jean-Marie felt that it could be expanded into a book, which it has been. So it has the letters, it has bridging chapters, and it's just so beautiful to read when you see the sort of dignity of the office at at the time and what a wonderfully generous spirit Obama was in accepting his mistakes even. You know, he was getting letters from people who'd lost their jobs on the steel mines and he genuinely wanted to be reminded daily that what he was doing was serving the American people and that included all the people, even the ones who didn't like him. Um, so it's just it's it's a really moving book book. It's funny in parts. It's just a wonderful read. So that's to Obama with love. And then I wanted to mention a couple of the locally published titles. Please, please look out for the new Richard Stain. He's my... Richard Stain wrote the... Um, bio, the new biography of Jan Smuts that became a phenomenal bestseller in South Africa two years ago now. I, we sold over 20,000 copies um, of Jan Smuts' Unafraid of Greatness. And subsequent to that, he wrote Smuts and Churchill about their wonderful relationship. And this is now the third one from Richard Stein. It's a bi- biography of Louis Boerta. And... I'm passionate about Richard Stein's ability to turn history into incredibly compelling narrative. Um, it's it's a gift. Uh, so even if you're not interested in Louis Borges' reign, which it's sort of oh, reign is not the right word, tenure, um, career, if you're not interested in World War Two, if you're not interested in the South African, just it will. It reads 
uh, you you will just you will love it, and you will become a Richard Stein fan as much as I am a Richard Stein fan. So Louis Boerter is now available. Do pick it up. And uh, Louis Boerter was a fascinating, genuinely fascinating character. And funny enough, I talking about Obama in being. Um, a man of dignity who connected with people on a sort of fundamental heart level. Louis Boerter was that. He was very much a communicator, a man of the people. Um, people from all walks of life connected to him. Um, so, yes, that is. And then the final book that you Final found. book, John LeBan's Eight Zulu Kings. Um, John LeBan's also an incredible historian. This one's a slightly more dense in that it is intended as a comprehensive with footnotes history of the Zulu kings from Shaka right up to King Goodwill's Willatini. And they're almost mini biographies, although, you know, there, there is a storyline that runs through it, but mini biographies of the eight Zulu kings and just a really fabulous read. Um, yes. Local history, but it's really the type of things, both of them. These are, we live with Louis Brutter Road just down, the, you know, just a few blocks away from the radio station. So read the book about the man that the name that his road is, um, the road is named after. Also, that the kings, you know, Zulu kings do play, they do cast a, a long shadow over South African history. So it's an opportunity to Reacquaint, well, acquaint ourselves with the local history within yeah. our land. It's been an absolute pleasure having you back. It always is. Your Thank passion you. for books and your erudition it's always makes just waiting to see your list and to hear you, your passion about the books on the air a, a great pleasure. It's a great, it's a, it's a great joy within, within the people of the book, this whole show.